Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to one eighty episode 189. Of the Falcoholic Live, we are joined tonight by a very special guest. He is Trevor Sycama at PFF, and he is still at Tampa Bay Trey, though not uh, at Peter Report, as the the nameplate is is saying. But still a fan of Peter Report and everything they do there. Trevor, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great, guys. I, well, I mean, look, if I still have a Peter Report nameplate on, then it's been far too long <laughs> since I've been on I the know. podcast with you guys. So. I appreciate you having me back on this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, and we're going to get to some draft stuff, guys, draft talk. Uh, I know Trevor's a big fan of Desmond Ritter, uh, as well as the Falcons draft class as a whole. I just happened to listen to the Stock Exchange one where you broke down like the, the best and worst draft classes. And I was like, oh, okay, the Falcons aren't mentioned. Then you snuck it in at the very end, right? I was about to turn it off, you know, the Falcons class. So um, so that that's a, a one-way ticket to the show, of course, when you praise the Falcons draft. Um, but also Trevor's just a great analyst. So, uh also with us tonight, we have two wonderful co-hosts. First of all, Adnan Ikic at Say Which Way. Adnan, how are we doing tonight? Uh, doing well. Uh, and uh, Still stuck in the off-season wilderness. Uh, you know, it's it's been a beautiful it's been a beautiful day in Atlanta, though. So we're we're heating up in May. So really enjoying that right now. Hey, hey, that's not bad. Nice weather. Uh, yeah, I think it was like eighty. 283 here in Syracuse today so uh it's it's warming up it's warming up out there also with us we have for the first time since the draft Eric Robinson at underscore Eric underscore Robinson Eric how are you doing tonight doing pretty well doing pretty well uh looking forward to uh having Trevor on here tonight always love his insight um nice to see you Trevor nice nice to see you as well Adnan and nice to be back on the show it's been a little bit yeah, yeah, we yeah. Ha- we had to uh, file a request for Eric services <laughs> with ESPN uh, just to just to get him on tonight. So you know uh, we're, we're happy that that got approved. Yes, yes, it's just like getting you know player interviews. You know we have to go through the proper channels you know to, to get approved. But no, Eric's Eric's great. Uh, happy to have Eric back on, um, and uh, happy to, happy yes, to see everyone else in the chat joining us as well. Damsky, how you doing, man? Brandon Brass, everybody. Uh, yeah, let's dive right in. Um, since since we haven't heard Eric or Trevor's takes, I figure we'll just go pick by pick, and then we'll probably do a deeper dive on Desmond Ritter because I know um, Trevor's got a lot of insight on Ritter, uh, and I wanted to get his take for sure on him, considering that last week we had some folks on that you know weren't as high on Ritter. Uh, so I want to get you guys the positive spin. You know, we keep being told we need to be more positive, so uh, I know I know Trevor's very positive about it. But let's kick things off with Drake London, um, and I'll I'll open the floor. Uh, to Trevor first on this. What do you, I know you're a fan of Drake London, the player. I believe you said he was your wide receiver one. Uh, what do you think about that selection for Atlanta at eight and uh, 
yeah, where he was on your board and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, no, I, I I love Drake London. I mean, he was a top 20 player for me. Might have been top 15. I can't remember exactly where he was, but he's somebody who I've liked throughout the process for a long, long time. I had him as wide receiver one for a lot of the college football season. And, you know, I'll admit, I'm I'm a bit of a sucker for those guys who could dominate at the catch point. I, I really am. And sometimes uh, it has worked out for me. Uh, other times I've been burned. Uh, cough, cough, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. But, you know, when I look at Drake London, I look at how dominant he has been at USC. And I look at the fact that he had 25 contested catches, which led all of college football. And that includes him only playing seven or eight games this past season. There are guys that played 12, 13, 14 games this college football season that weren't able to surpass how many contested catches this guy got. He was that dominant, that good. So to say that he is just a contested catch wide receiver is not doing him justice. He, To me, he's a true alpha. He's a true wide receiver one. He's one of the youngest players in this draft class, which I think is definitely a bonus as well. Does the speed worry me a little bit? Yeah, sure. But it's not like separation was really ever going to be part of his game. I feel as though, you know, he wasn't really able to do it a ton in college. I will say that I feel like Keaton Slovis's lack of arm strength goes <laughs> oh, into yes. that. I will love a slander. I love it. I love it. Right. So, I mean, I'll just say that I think that goes into it a little bit more than people are calculating. Um, But even though he wasn't going to be this quick hit yards after catch kind of a guy, he's got the mentality for it. You you see when he has open space in front of him, he's easily taken it and he's taken it with a full head of steam. And of course, when it's on the money down, man, when it's when it's third and eight and you need a catch and somebody's just got to come down with it or you're within the 20 or the 10 and somebody's got to come down with in red zone. That's where I have all the confidence in the world in a guy like Drake London. And certainly when you look at a wide receiver room that's as depleted as the Falcons is, this guy gets to step in right away, have all the confidence in the world to be that go to player. And I really did. I, I like this selection for him. I'm a big, big Drake London fan. Yeah. Yeah. I like to pick two. Um, but I like the player a lot. For me, the only the only problem, I just wasn't a fan of wide receiver at eight. I thought going back-to-back skill position players at the top, like philosophically was something I disagreed with, but the player is not at all an issue. Like, I mean, he was my d- number 10 overall player, my top receiver. So if they were going to take one, this is the one I, I wanted them to take. I think he fits the scheme and everything. And I agree with you that uh, the speed stuff is overblown. I mean, I, I think he's probably like a, mid four fives type of guy but like that's fine like mike evans ran a four four, five three like is his speed a problem hell no so you know it's it's overblown i think and and yeah the keaton slovis slander is welcomed for sure Uh, (laughs) eric we haven't i haven't heard your take on on uh drake london either so what did you think about that selection as the the top pick so initially i will admit i wasn't 100 on board i think at that particular point of the draft i valued the edge rushers more than the receivers um and and i kind of wanted them to take a swing there uh but once i was able to you know dive a little deeper into the tape of drake london i, I understood why the selection was made i understood the direction that they're going with the offense if you you add his ability at six four you add kyle pitts at six five Hopefully they can get something out of Alton Tate, who's also uh, north of 6'5 as well. They're trying to create mismatches in a different way. Uh, you see it around the NFL now. Teams are, are kind of utilizing the aspect of speed to create mismatches. But the Falcons are, are heading into a direction where they want to use size, strength, and, and, and overall wide catch ability, catch radius ability 
to create mismatches uh, in the NFL. And I, I thought, you know, you can, you can go back and look at his numbers, like Trevor pointed out. The guy only played eight games last year, and he still won Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year with yeah, 88 yeah. receptions, um, which is incredible. Uh, six of the eight games, I think he definitely he he posted uh, more than 100 yards. I think four or five of those games, he had 130 or more uh, yeah. yards. So he was very productive going into games where teams knew he was the primary option on offense, and they still were not able to stop him. Um, so – when it comes to him, I always felt he has a Brandon Marshall-like ceiling because of his size and his ability. And he, yes, he doesn't create the separation, but that didn't really prevent Brandon Marshall from being a very productive receiver at the NFL level. And another name that that was brought up that I thought was interesting as well was Marcus Colston. And I see a lot of Marcus Colston in his game as well, and his ability to be effective as a 6'4", slot receiver and Marcus Colson made a living in the middle of, of, of the field um, in that particular aspect with the Saints for a number of years. So I think if the Falcons are able to squeeze that type of production out of Drake London, it'll be well worth it. And, and I, you know, I'm fine with the pick at this point, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, I certainly get what they were going for. And it, it was clearly a big need on the roster. So it's hard to get too upset with it. But um, it's more, it feels kind of nitpicky, you know, now in, in hindsight, considering what they did with the right. rest of the draft, but, um, you know, we can't be too positive on this program. You know, we got to make sure we, you know, we, we, we bring on Aaron Freeman too, to make sure we get enough hating going on on here, but uh, we can't be too, too rosy. Yeah, yeah. Right. Ba- fair and balanced coverage here on right. the Alcoholic Live. So. I, I do like the point Trevor made about how young Drake London is. This will be his age 21 season. And then you have Kyle Pitts, who the Falcons took last year. He's turning 22 in October. So these are two guys who are probably going to easily work into their second contracts in the NFL, maybe even third. So this is a, this is a great opportunity for Atlanta to have two guys really grow with one another. And uh, you're not really desperate right away to have that, uh, that impact, you know, quarterback, Right now, you you can kind of wait a little bit on Desmond Ritter if he is the guy, because these guys next season are going to be what twenty one and twenty two. So, mm-hmm. I mean, these guys will be able to grow with whatever quarterback you put out there, whatever young quarterback, whether that's Ritter or someone else in the next couple drafts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the, I think the pick makes sense. I think they're trying to get big and physical at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. And you guys have mentioned also his ability to play the slot, which is not an emphasized position in the Arthur Smith offense, but it is nice to be able to have that flexibility to move him in there from time to time. Um, Yeah, so I think we're all definitely fans of that pick. The next pick, I know uh, Trevor's a huge fan of. I was a huge fan of it as well. It was a small trade-up. The Falcons gave up their fourth rounder to go up uh, to get uh, edge rusher Arnold Ebikati from Penn State. Uh, A big-time addition to the pass rush that was desperately needed. Uh, Trevor, what do you think about the Falcons' second pick there in Arnold Ibikati? Look, I, I liked it a lot, and and this is somebody who, you know, Arnold Ibikati spent some time at Temple as well, transferred over to Penn State, so he's one of the older prospects. You know, you talked about the age of Drake London. Uh, Arnold Ibikati is a little bit older, but I, I think he's also more refined. Like, this is, this is the kind of player that can come in and play right away for you. He was able to come in in this past year, have a ton of success, at Penn state. I mean, he flashes no matter what player you're watching. I was watching um, Brandon Smith, a linebacker. I'd watch Jaquan Brisker, the safety. And the whole time I'm watching him, it's just like, 
damn 17 pops in the line <laughs> of scrimmage. And the reason why is because the vertical jump, the broad jump, 90th percentile explosiveness scores. And this dude's just getting off the ball extremely quick. And I think he learned how to use his hands a lot better this year. He had a really nice pass rush plan a lot of times, but again, that comes from experience. It comes from a um, being a little bit older. And so I, I feel like this is a player who can really step in right away and be productive in a pass rush room that I think they desperately needed it. Now, I definitely understand Eric's point of, hey, there were bigger trench needs on this team for you to really take a skill position player at number eight, or as Kevin, you brought up like back-to-back skill position players in back-to-back seasons. But I think, you know, if a Kayvon Thibodeau would have made it to number eight, I think that maybe the situation in, is a little bit different, but I, I liked how they navigated this draft, especially with their first two picks, because if you're not picking, if you're not picking George Pickens, where the Falcons did, Arnold Ebikade in the second round, Mm. then there really was not any other wide receiver that was going to give you the ceiling of a Drake London. If you ask me, like I like Sky Moore as much as anybody else, but like Sky Moore hitting a Drake London type of ceiling of production is still a bit of a reach. I think George Pickens can, but I think there's a lot that kind of goes into that with what people talked about with motivation and focus and off the field stuff. I've never met the dude. So I hate talking about character of people that I've never met, but yeah, I think all that goes into it with George Pickens, but outside of him, you got the better deal getting Drake London at the top. And then Arlen Ebicadia at the back end of the second round or the front end of the second round. So I liked how they went boom, boom with wide receiver and, and an edge rusher, how they kind of prioritize that there, the draft itself, where the main goal is to get, get as many good players as possible. There is a game within the game of how you navigate things and the intel you have on the other teams and where you think the draft is deepest to where you believe that you can hit a certain position at a certain point in the draft. And I thought the Falcons did a good job of prioritizing a, what they believe is dominant playmaker in the passing game at the top, which they weren't, they didn't think they were able to get going to get in the top of the second round and then getting an edge rusher that I really do think they can depend upon a lot even this next year with Arnold Ebicati. So I like what he brings to the table from an immediate standpoint with him being an older prospect, a little bit more refined in his details. And I just liked how they navigated those first two picks overall. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think that certainly in hindsight, it looks better too, because of they set off this massive wide receiver run and it, you know, caused the saints to, to feel like they needed to move up for Olave. And, you know, maybe you're, you're saying like, Oh, well, we just made our rival, you know, spend an extra pick to get their guy, you know, ha ha and all that. So, you know, I, I like the gamesmanship angle of that. If, if you want to go down that path, but um, yeah, I mean, Drake Lennon's a great player and I, there weren't a lot of true, like sort of prototypical X guys out there. Drake London was sort of the the clear one, and I agree, like, George Pickens was sort of that other option. And, you know, Christian Watson probably in that mold, too. Another guy that's going to need probably some time before he's going to sort of take over that dynamic number one role in a passing game. But, um, yeah, considering how it, the board fell, you know, the top tackles were off the board. The top edge rushers, three of them were already off the board. Um it made it easier to swallow a wide receiver there because I think you could say, well, you know, we're, we'd rather have wide receiver one than edge four, you know, even if sure. edge four is a good player. So, um, yeah, Eric, what do you think about, uh, Ebicady coming in? You know, uh, to kind of sort of go back on, on Trevor's point, as far as, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, the, the draft being somewhat of a, of a chess match 
uh, to a certain extent. You know, the teams, and, and I mentioned this before on the show, teams have enough intel when you go into draft day. They have a, gener- a general idea as far as what other teams are thinking and what direction they're going. And I'm pretty sure the Falcons probably felt like, hey, yes, we can take another receiver. Um, they could have, they easily could have went Jamison Williams. They easily could have went Garrett Wilson, but they wanted that Drake London type guy. And they knew that if they missed out on that, the first go around, they might not have gotten another Drake London type impact player in round two or round three. So I think that's why they, they, they kind of swung for the fences with Drake Young, Drake London in that particular situation. Not to mention that they probably knew that there was going to be a run, a slew of teams in the first round that was going to take a swing there as well. So, um, But when it comes to Ebikade, uh, you know, he's, he's a temple transfer, first year at Penn State, uh, 18 and a half tackles for loss, yeah. nine yeah. sacks, which is pretty impressive. Um, and, and if you throw on the tape, like Trevor, like Trevor pointed out, if you throw on the tape, you can't help but notice him. Yeah. Um, he's really much more of a technician type edge rusher. Um, and the one thing that I, I like a lot is his ability to be able to set up the opposing offensive lineman before he's able to make his initial move. Um, and and it's, it's one of those things that you have to learn. You have to kind of polish that particular part of your craft. And he's there already. Um, he is definitely, in my opinion, one of the more NFL-ready edge rushers um, in the draft. He's not going to be a type of guy that's going to need a season or two of, you know, riding the bench and learning the ropes. Like, I, I think he's probably one of those guys that's ready to go in for day one. Not saying he's going to be, you know, not saying he's going to lead the league in sacks or anything, but just saying he's one of those ready edge rushers that you can put out there in week one. And he can probably, you know, be productive for you at a, to a certain extent. So I don't mind the pick. I like it. Um, and, and it adds a guy who I think is going to have one of those particular careers where, you know, it it may not equate to a number of all pro nominations, or it may not equate to a number of pro bowls, but next thing you know, you look up and he has four or five, maybe six double digit sack seasons. So it's, and it's a productive one. So I I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think this was a good class to get a player like Ibikati at the top, because I, I think, you know, maybe you wonder, you're probably not putting him in the same class as like a Thibodeau or an Aiden Hutchinson, you know, these guys at the very top that are these like prototypical edge one, you know, perennial pro bowler type of guys, but Ebikati's right below that, that group. And I think getting someone like him at this point is a necessary building block for the Falcons that really didn't even have a number two. I mean, maybe you could say that Lorenzo Carter could be a number two, but like last year they did, they, I mean, Dante Fowler wasn't even a number two for them, not to mention they didn't have a number three either. So getting guys oh. like a Bacchetti in here, you know. <laughs> oh, Fowler. Yeah, oh, Dante Fowler ref. Yep, yeah, no. We've uh, we've moved on from that. Sixteen and a half million, everyone. Yeah. Go ahead. And the guys that support their own comp pick. Yeah, yep, yep. Very true. Mm, man. Uh, Oof. Yeah. Okay. Let's, Moving let's, on from that. Yeah. We gotta. We gotta keep the keep the wheels turning here. Right. Yeah. Oh, uh, not anything uh, else you wanted there on. Oh, uh, uh, I was gonna say. Are we gonna mention how Lorenzo Carter also cost us a fourth round comp pick? Well, I mean, I wasn't gonna. <laughs> or, I mean, I you can mention that, but then we met your quota, right? Like we got a bulldog on the roster. <laughs> we got yeah, two. We got some dogs. We got, so we got some dogs. Yeah. Well, yeah, so we decided that the quota <laughs> had to be two. Yeah. To make up. It's three. They drafted two and they brought in Carter. So 
Like it's oh, we, true. they, they yeah. definitely we're no, they're no, good no. for the next ten years, right? No, no, Carter. <laughs> you know there has to be two bulldogs every single draft, and it replenishes every year. Yes, <laughs> got to get the dogs. Okay, that's that's the only thing we care about is we got to draft some dogs. But, this but, was a good start. Yeah. Yep. They're 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 going the correct direction now in terms of drafting dogs, according to the fan base. Um, yeah, okay. I. Uh, <laughs> I like the Abacadie pick. It's a good pick. Um, yeah, I do too. Yeah. Next pick, uh, one of the ones that I think there, there was more splitting on, although I, I do really like this player, uh, is linebacker Troy Anderson from Montana State, uh, a guy who's obviously just an incredible athlete, you know, a perfect 10, as I like to say, on, on the RAS score. Uh, just incredible testing. Um, sort of a jack-of-all-trades guy. Played quarterback, running back linebacker was basically all conference, like every position he tried to play. So I have a lot of faith in him, you know, growing into whatever role the Falcons want to put him in because he's, he's done it. Yeah. Go ahead. He's a former starter. Yeah. At at quarterback as well. Like this is not just a guy that was like a third stringer. No, like he was, he was actually, he was on the field extensively at quarterback. Oh yeah. No, I think he was like their starting quarterback after their original starter got hurt and just like, you know, was all conference or something and then right. all conference running back and then all, all conference linebacker. I think he was like the conference player of the year or something like that uh, this year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I like the pick. I, I like the fit in this defense. I like the size. I like, I like everything about it. I think this is a good place to take a swing on somebody like that. Uh, Trevor, what do you think about, uh, Troy Anderson in Atlanta? I just thought it was a little early for Troy Anderson with Atlanta. The The only thing that I really don't like about this pick is I think Atlanta is worse off on the offensive line than maybe they believe. So oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, like this is, this is a pick where Bernard Raymond, Dylan Parham, Abraham Lucas, Sean Ryan, like all of these guys are still on the board and I don't mind Troy Anderson. Obviously, he's one hell of an athlete. He is just a naturally damn good football player. I do think that he struggles a little bit with just like between the tackles physicality stuff, which kind of worries me a little bit. Um, I actually like Rashawn Evans a decent amount. So like they brought him in. They obviously mm-hmm. have Deion Jones as well. So like For I, now. I, I, I right, right, right. That's true, that's true. <laughs> I like Troy Anderson, the player. I would have just liked it. Like if the Falcons pick Troy Anderson, let me pull up the draft here. Like if they happen to pick Troy Anderson. Uh, 74. Like even, well, 74 is kind of strange because it's a quarterback pick. And I like this. So like, I feel <laughs> right. weird. Like if you switch one. it up. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But like if, if you would have picked him at like 82 instead of Malone, then I would have been like, okay, I, I like this a little bit more, especially if this pick here at 58 would have been an offensive line pick. I would have liked right. that a lot more. Um, okay. So that's kind of that's kind of that's kind of my thing overall is that I don't mind Trey Anderson. I wasn't as big on him as some other people were because for as much as I do praise how much of a natural athlete he is, it is a position that demands a lot of physicality and there were times when I felt like he was not as physically imposing as I would have liked him to be at the FCS level and that only gets way harder at the NFL. So dude can move, dude's a really great athlete, but being able to hold your own from a strength profile is still a prerequisite to playing linebacker in the NFL for as much as we are getting lighter and faster and all of that on both sides of the ball linebackers still need to be able to hit when you're talking about a guy who you picked in the second round in number 58, he's got to be able to play all three downs for you eventually 
will Anderson have that strength profile? And if he does, great, he works out. But even if he does, I kind of wish they would have taken a <laughs> chance on an offensive lineman instead. So that's yeah. my overall thoughts on the pick. Like the player, wish they would have picked offensive line. Yeah, I think this is the one spot where some people get off the train. You know, just like I really like Troy Anderson. I was I was pretty high on him, but even I had him as like a third round grade. So like this was early on my board a little bit. I do really, you know, I think if you're gonna take a swing, take a swing on a ten, you know, perfect ten guy. Like you know, the the athletic sure. ceiling is is really high. So like I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I agree. Like they seem to really have faith in Jalen Mayfield and Matt Hennessy and Drew Dahlman that that there's gonna be something there. Um, I think it's okay to have faith in like one of those guys, like one of those three, maybe you could be like, okay, like Matt Hennessy. Yeah. We think you can get better. You know, uh, it's talked about a lot. PFF really liked Matt Hennessy last year, you know, because of his run blocking, um, fans are definitely more split on him, but you know, nobody liked Jalen Mayfield. Like <laughs> he had a single digit PFF Trevor, grade. Yeah. Even Trevor had to smirk at that a little bit. Yeah. No, yeah. he had one of the, he had, he had one of the lowest grades of any player in the season. He might've had the lowest. I haven't checked in a while, but. Yeah, I, I remember like we we were we were like more than halfway through the season and I looked at his season grade and it was like a 31 overall yeah, yeah. out of a hundred and I was like holy cow I didn't know that was possible. Yeah, he had a one point six against the Eagles last year. He did. Yeah. He did. I didn't even I had no idea that was possible. So um we learned a lot about the grading system. Um so that's always a plus. Yeah. But, <laughs> um yeah, uh, I, I don't disagree with the idea that offensive line would have been, I think Dylan Parham would have been awesome here. Um, you know, I know that there were a lot of Jamari Salyer fans too, you know, speaking of dogs, uh, he ended up going way later than I expected. No, we could have gotten him in the sixth round. Yeah, apparently. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't disagree with that. And, you know, I think it's like if, if Anderson reaches a ceiling and is a three down linebacker, then no one's going to complain, but, uh, it was definitely a, a sort of home run swing. And I don't, I don't hate it, you know, where this team is, but, they, we really need to see some improvement from Mayfield and Hennessy or, or Dahlman, whichever two of those guys end up starting, because there really isn't anything else. And the offensive line is was a massive problem last year. So, uh, yeah. Eric, what did you think about uh, Anderson? I don't think it was early. I think it was fair, fair range for him. I think it's more so of an emphasis that's trying to be placed on – the inside linebacker position in the DMP's defense. I think the days of your six feet, 215 pound linebackers manning the middle are over. Um, and I, and I think this was a huge domino to fall that will lead to eventually moving on from Deion Jones, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. I think it kind of sort of started with Foye Owoken. I think they liked him. They wanted to bring him back. Of course, the price tag was too heavy, but I don't think it was, I don't think they looked at it as an issue like, okay, you know what? We're we're losing a really key member, a key part of this defense. I think he wants to get bigger and stronger and more physical at the inside linebacker spot. And Anderson provides that. I mean, if you look at the receiving room, I mean, not the receiver room, the linebacker room now with Anderson, where was Sean Evans? And including Michael Walker, they're all at least 6'2 and above 230 plus. And they all are athletic, they're able to run, and they're physical. And that's not something that Deion Jones can check. That's, those are not boxes that he can check right now. And I think he's kind of sort of the, you know, the odd man out. <laughs> he he yeah. kind of sticks out like a sore thumb in that linebacker room right now. 
Um, but when it comes to Anderson himself, again, I, I thought he was more so of a late second, early third guy. Um, and I think they're really rolling the dice here on potential. And I think the potential there is huge. Yeah. With like yeah. Anderson. I think he, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he led the FCS last year in tackles. Um, and like you said, like you pointed out, he won defensive player of the year. The guy can move, man. He really can. 6'3", 245. The guy ran a 4'4 at the combine, had 38-inch vertical, I believe. Yeah. Um, I'll, pull, I'll we, pull it up. It was crazy. It was he had insane numbers. And again, the his ability, he was all conference at quarterback. He was all conference at running back, not to mention he won defensive player of the year at linebacker. So that tells you he's able to play the sport of football. There's just little certain things that he needs to figure out a little bit. And I think that's because of the lack of experience at the linebacker position. Um yeah. so yeah. He, I, I, there's there's some refinement that is needed there, but I think they might if if it does. You're looking at a guy, honestly, that can be a potential all pro later on down the line. Like I'm that I'm that high on his potential. Yeah, this, the athletic ceiling is absolutely there. I mean, he is it's, sort of a unicorn at linebacker. We know how much they like unicorns in that metaphor. So right, right. <laughs> um, and and it's it's a lot of people, and and I don't know if I really wanted to lean in this direction, but a lot of people thought they toss out the name Brian Erlacher when it came to him. And and, and, and Brian Erlacher is aggressive. Yeah. That, that is pretty aggressive. But I, I wanna I wanna say, okay, in terms of the frame and the athleticism, you can see it. You can see small signs of it. But I don't want I don't want to go out on a limb and say, yeah. man, this guy's a a future Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's oh, very aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, like the I, foundation of a Brian Urlacher is all there, but it he's got to build it the is. house now. There's so we got a lot there's, of building to do. There's, yeah. there's some building that needs to yeah. happen. There's some polish that needs to, that still needs to be applied to his game. You you guys heard it here first. Eric is guaranteeing. <laughs> I'm not tweeting that out. I'm tweeting that out right now. Brian I'm not saying he's the next Brian Urlacher. I'm just saying he's pretty, he's pretty big and he's pretty athletic for the yeah. inside linebacker in today's game. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Those numbers so, are insane, though. His so, numbers are ridiculous. Yeah, six three and a half, two forty three, over thirty two inch arms, uh, four four two forty, one four nine ten yard split, which is faster that's, than that's, a that's lot incredible. of a lot of edge rushers. Um, that's incredible. Thirty six, thirty six vert, ten foot eight broad, six seven seven three cone. Wow, that's pretty that's nice incredible. Yeah. That is incredible. That so, is and cool. uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, but the coaching staff has kind of gone out of its way to just not mention Deion Jones at all when talking about the linebackers. It's true. The I, last couple times, it, it wasn't just a one-off thing. Uh, it's yeah. happened a couple times where they were listing out the linebackers and Deion Jones' name never came up. So I, I think his days are numbered in Atlanta. Right. And I think that this is a pick of uh, preparing for that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Anderson, I don't think – I think he'll be a, an instant impact special teams guy in his rookie year. I don't think he'll – Especially if Deion Jones is is kept this season, uh, I don't know if he'll make an immediate impact day one. But this is a guy where the coaching staff, the GM trusts the coaching staff to develop Troy Anderson because you don't make this kind of pick if you don't have the utmost confidence in, in your coaching staff from a developmental angle. 
And I mean, I, I like what I've seen from this coaching staff thus far. They, they developed, well, not Richie Grant last year, obviously, because he couldn't learn the playbook, but you know, they developed some of those late round guys pretty well last year. Uh, Deji for one, some of those undrafted guys like, uh, like rush. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I trust them too, as of now. And, you know, let's see what they can do with a, a guy who's essentially a ball of clay right now. Quick, yes. quick question for Trevor. Let's just say Anderson called Death Valley home for the last two or three years, and he was rocking the Clemson helmet. Mm-hmm. And you take the numbers, you take the measurables, and you just apply it to a little bit more experience and a better, you know, in a better atmosphere and a better, you know, a more recognizable uh, playing field for him. Mm-hmm. Then where would he fall in this draft? Where would he be? Let me look up linebackers. Linebackers in the draft. Quay went 22. Devin Loy went 27. And then the next one was Troy Anderson. So, I, th- I mean, like, I think he still would have been a second round pick, maybe a little yeah. bit earlier. I don't, like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really think that he's cracking the first round again because, like, I don't think he was, I think, it, it, I don't know if you were trying to set this up by asking this question, but like, I don't know if you were trying to like give off Isaiah Simmons vibes, like from how freakishly athletic Isaiah Simmons was as a potential guy who could play multiple positions for you. And Isaiah Simmons goes eight overall. Yeah. I don't think that he would have been seen in that kind of a light, but more, more so of if he had a little bit more experience in a more yeah. recognizable place where sure. he, he has the chance to become more of a household name, then where would he fall? Would he, would it still be? Probably it would it would have been the second round. It would have been I I I still think he would have been a second round pick because yeah, I okay. thought I thought the second round was early for him anyway. So if you put him in an environment where he's more recognizable, maybe he does have some more hype to him because mm-hmm. look, GMs and coaches love to do that. They love to take guys from the bigger schools, the bigger programs. It's mm-hmm. just it's less of a projection. You've seen him do it against a better competition. Like if mm-hmm. you would have said the same thing, like if you would have said, okay, put him in. Uh, I don't want to say Alabama, but like, if, like, <laughs> if, like, if, if you put, like, Texas, if he was rocking, you know, he was in the Big Twelve for the past. Yeah, it, it, or if you would have said like, okay, he's playing middle linebacker for Texas A&M, or he's playing middle mm-hmm. linebacker from LSU, he's mm-hmm. probably going like early second round ish, yeah. I would think. Yeah, uh, if he has but, that production against that level of competition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah then, yeah. I mean, if he, technically, if he has the exact same production, but yeah. at LSU, then right. we're probably talking probably about talking him first going rounder, yeah. as like a linebacker <laughs> one. Yeah, but like, yeah. if, if you just take Troy Anderson, this player, make him a linebacker full-time, and put him yeah. at one of the bigger programs in the country, he'd, yeah. probably, he'd probably still be a second-round pick. It, may, it might just be a little bit earlier. Yeah, okay. that's, yeah. that's just my opinion. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good discussion. Definitely appreciate that. We're gonna we're gonna briefly skip over Ritter. We'll do Ritter last because I know we're gonna have a lot of takes on Ritter. Um, but let's go to D'Angelo Malone next, who I know you're also a big fan of, Trevor. What do you think about the Falcons double dipping, getting mm. another pass rusher in here? Yeah, I love the double dip even more than even more than just like the player himself, which I like Malone. I mean, it's a high ceiling dude. He brings you the size. He brings you the explosiveness, the athleticism. That's exactly what you want. This is also a perfect compliment to we already drafted our edge rusher that we believe can be solid for us right away. And not to say that Arnold Levicate doesn't have a high ceiling. I don't mean to say it like that, yeah, but like yeah. they already spent a higher pick on an edge rusher that they 
probably have a lot of confidence in that's going to come in and start right away. Now they take a massive swing at the bat by double dipping as early as they did three picks later for them, three selections later for them. So look, I love it from Malone. I think he's got a ton of potential. My co-host at NFL Stock Exchange, Connor Rogers from Bleacher Report, he was even higher on Malone than I was. I think he had Malone as like a top 50 player. In the oh, class. yeah, that's so right. That's right. Yeah. He, he absolutely loved them. You know, getting Malone at 82 compared to a top 50 player with his grade. Um, I can't remember where Malone. Malone was around this area for me on my big board. Uh, so, like, I, I again, I liked him. I thought this was a great spot for him. I felt like the Falcons, with this being their second edge rusher of the draft, fantastic pick. I felt like edge rusher was just so depleted for them. I wanted to see them double dip anyways. They go back-to-back guys who have really high ceilings when it comes to that athletic profile. So I liked it. I really did. Yeah, yeah. And it. I just remember from the Senior Bowl watching, for, for whatever reason, Malone just looked tiny at the Senior Bowl. He's not tiny, but he, like he went up, he was going up against Trevor Penning. And like I just remember him getting up under Penning and just pushing him over, and I was like, "Who is this well, tiny he's, dude?" He's got to like, get bigger anyway. <laughs> he does. He's got to get bigger anyway because yeah. like he's yeah. he's coming in as an edge rusher at like like two thirty five. I don't remember what did he come out. It was like two forty five. It actually wasn't bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did he come? In, did he come in at two forty five? I'll pull it up. Yeah, it was it was better than I thought. Um, but and there he we just, go. He's, so he was he was two forty three. But here's the thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He gained weight to get to two forty three. I think. Yeah, yeah, and so. two forty three is still third percentile. Yeah. For like defensive ends. You, you so, wanted you wanted to see him more at two fifty ish at yeah. the combine once he once he was weighing in and things. Yeah. That's what you want. Like I think yeah, this dude's that. still got to get bigger. He's got to get stronger. But again, yeah. like that's the reason why I like this pick. You yeah. already yeah. have Ebikade. Now you get a player who you go, okay, we don't need you year one. Year one, get with the strength coach, get with the trainer, get up to 250, like keep the athleticism at 250. Let's make something happen year two, year three. Let's let's yeah. let's roll. So like yeah. that's why I like the pick. Oh no, I like it. I like it too. I like that he, you know, obviously I like that he put Trevor Penning on his butt too. Um, you know, that that's that's a plus, you know, considering that he's gonna be on the Saints now. So notice <laughs> notice a trend there's a trend here with the picks that they've made. You know, you took London who was Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. You took Ebikade, um, and then you took Anderson, who was FCS Defensive Player of the Year. Of course, Ritter was a two-time AAC off, uh, Offensive Player of the Year. D'Angelo Malone was Conference USA Defensive Player of the Year last year as well. So that notice plays. the trend here. that They're grabbing yeah. guys who stood out amongst their peers in their respective conferences. Yeah, and, and they, senior they, ball guys too. Five and out senior ball guys as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, th- yeah, this is this is another. It was a fun pick. Um, I did his highlight uh, for yeah, yeah, the right. NFL mm-hmm. draft, which was pretty cool. So I got a chance to to watch a lot of his games, and yeah. the, he's all you have to do is just throw on a Western Kentucky tape, and you can just tell. Of course, he's the best defensive player on on the field for yeah. for uh, for Western Kentucky. And you know, look at his numbers. I think he's had at least ten and a half tackles for loss in each of the last three seasons. I think this past year he had like seventeen. Yeah, um, yeah. 40 sacks in his career um, at Western Kentucky. The guy is just, he's, he's a, a perfect complimentary edge rusher. I would be nervous if this was the first edge rusher that they took. I really yeah, would be right. Like, right. I, I don't like the direction that they're going, but the fact that they drafted him as, you know, the, 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 the two third guy, basically. And a yeah, one, two yeah. punch. I like it. And, yeah. and, and Kevin, how long have we been <laughs> for this? For so the Falcons long. to so double dip an edge rusher, and they yep. finally did it, and they yep. took two guys that are are one of the, are two of the better edge rushers in the draft. Yeah, so and, and really a type, 
yeah they have a type now too like right. um these are definitely more like three four style edge like outside linebacker style edge rushers as opposed to they were working with a lot of dan quinn guys and there is some you know overlap there like you know dan quinn likes to use a jack in his four three unders um that that can be similar in a lot of ways to a three four outside linebacker who's going to stand up part of the time and all that but these two are definitely more prototypical three four outside linebacker guys for dean pease and um i think that'll be a good thing for them uh you know I, when they do want them to put their hand in the dirt both these guys can ebikati has done it well um and I like it. I, I just, I think Malone, you're hoping that he's basically like your number three pass rusher, like long-term, your number three defensive end, your, your number three edge guy. Um, and I think he could be a really good number three edge. Like, I think he, he comes in, he could probably this year, he's more of a designated pass rusher, you know, for all the reasons that Trevor mentioned, like he's a guy that's going to have to get stronger um, to play, to be able to play the run, but maybe someone who has some off ball flexibility too, you know, we'll see, but uh, I, I like the pick. Uh, I love the double dip at edge. We've been clamoring for that forever. So just getting even a, just some, they needed bodies so bad. Like, um, you know, Lorenzo Carter was just like a mile ahead of every other player on the roster. And at least now there's a few intriguing guys. I mean, I like Ogan Deji from, from last year. I think he's maybe, maybe they have something there, but other than that, it was pretty much a, a barren wasteland after Lorenzo Carter. So, um, and, and I've always said this team needs more hilltoppers on it. So, you know, that, that'll <laughs> yeah. definitely help as well but no i i think they'll put malone in a position this year where he doesn't have to worry about anything other than just rushing the passer uh he'll probably be on on there for a lot of third downs as well and you know just taking away that responsibility everything else uh not having to account for anything else will will help him out some and it'll i think help him help the team in making an impact right away in his rookie season. I love his length. Uh, he's a really quick guy. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's something to be said about having what 10 plus tackles the past three years. It doesn't matter what level you're at uh, in the college game. That's, that's pretty impressive. And I was a big fan of this pick when it happened. And uh, yeah, our pass rush will be, much better from the unit that had an abysmal 18, 18 sacks set. last year, uh, which was less as a than, team, Trevor. Yeah, yeah. less yeah. than what Robert Quinn and TJ Watt had by themselves. <laughs> I I chipped in with one and a half. By the yeah. way, yeah, that. Hey, that that would have been uh, good for what second on the team then. I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think at least ha- at least two of those were the offensive linemen falling backwards on the quarterback, and you know there was just a Falcon in the area, so. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah that, that's very dire straits hopefully we're not talking about less than 20 sacks again anytime soon in a um, 17 game season no in less. a 17 game season yep that's like one a little over one it's like 1.1 1. 1 sacks per game like less yeah. so. I, I think the stat was that was the second fewest the falcons have ever had and the fewest was during the lockout like the yeah. like nine game season and yep. the seventies or the oh, 80s. Geez. Yeah. Well, we're, well, let's not linger on that point for too long. Uh, that's, it's too depressing, but uh, day three, there were, there were a couple picks. The big one is uh, running back Tyler Algier, the fifth rounder. Um, I like it. I, I think this is under Dan Quinn. We rarely saw rookie running backs get a chance to do much. You know, even when they had Tevin Coleman in the second round, he didn't really make an impact his rookie year. We'll see what happens with Arthur Smith. I think, Algier has a good chance to make an impact. Trevor, what do you think about uh, Algier? 
Uh, it's my RB three. Don't know oh, how he lasted. Right. Yeah. Don't know how he lasted Ooh. until the fifth round. Uh, I like Tyler Algier a lot. Now, I didn't think that he was the full time potential bell cow back that Kenneth Walker and Brees Hall were. Those guys are firmly in that tier one, one and two uh, class here with these running backs. But after that, it was it was a total pick your poison kind of running back room. You know, it was going to be rotational guys. It was going to be guys who were specialized in certain situations. And with that being the case. I like Tyler Algier, man. I get it. He's not as flexible. He doesn't have the lateral agility that some of these other players have, but I still love his feet. I love the momentum that he gets when he gets going in a straight line. He's hard to bring down. He's got some of the best contact balance in the class. I think he's got decent straight line speed as well once he gets moving. Um, and he's a good blocker. I think he can give you third down responsibilities as well. I love the linebacker background because, well, shoot, I, I love the background overall for this kid. He was <laughs> yeah. a walk-on. He was a walk-on for two years at BYU before he got a scholarship, got a scholarship at running back. They had a bunch of injuries at linebacker. Linebacker coach comes to him and says, hey, you want to play linebacker? It'll get you on the field. Algier said, yeah, absolutely, I want to get on the field. So he played linebacker for half a season for BYU before moving back over to running back when they started to have injuries there and added over 1,000 yards in that one incredible season with Zach Wilson, and he was a – catalyst for their offense this past year as well so i just love where the kids motivation has been love his journey love the fact that he understands what it's like to not just be the ball carrier but to be the pursuer to be the linebacker so he's put he's been in both shoes if you will like that background for him i like him as a one cut back and i like him in atlanta specifically and you got quarter patterson and damian williams on the roster quarter patterson's probably going to take a lot of the attention snaps focused with out of the backfield play, but they also know that they can use Cordero Patterson in a variety of different ways. So when you've got those short yardage situations, you've got that power guy. I feel like Tyler Algier has every chance to win a job in that area. So I think that big fan of his game, big fan of where he landed in Atlanta. I'm expecting big things from him. I really am. Yeah. I think there's a really clear path and you can't always say this about fifth round picks, but I think there's a really clear path uh, for Algier to to take on a sizable role immediately, um, and the Falcons did add Damian Williams. They also got uh, they they released Mike Davis recently, who did just land with the uh, the Ravens. So good for him, uh, getting getting another team there. But um, you know it, it's they needed a, an early down grinder. They needed someone to take those carries off of Patterson's plate because Patterson, when used sort of as the chess piece that he is, used in high leverage situations when he wasn't having to carry the whole load, um, he was really efficient, both as a runner and as a receiver. As the season went on, and he started taking 10, 15, 20 touches a game, it really, you, you could tell it was wearing wearing him down. So I think if you can get Algier to take a lot of that early down work, take some of that off of Patterson's plate, save Patterson for those high leverage situations, and then you sort of mix in Damian Williams as needed, I think that that's a recipe for a, a better overall running back room. And, the thing with Algier to me is that when he had the blocking, he was just unstoppable. Like if he if he has a hole, he's he's getting three yards. Like he's a really reliable short yardage guy. He's not going to go down on first contact. I think his vision was pretty darn good. I like his. I, I mean, he's not the most elusive guy, but I thought his feet actually were, were pretty good. Like he he makes quick cuts. He's really good in the zone blocking system. Um, so I think he can handle that short yardage role. Obviously, great in the red zone with the twenty three touchdowns. Not necessarily dynamic in terms of long speed, fairly average there, but a guy that can get you those those chunk 10 to 15 yard runs if you get him into open space because of his contact balance and all that stuff. So I, I think it's a great fit, and I think he has a, a, 
a pretty good chance to to end up a sort of a surprising contributor this year. I, I think he has has a great shot. Uh, and you know that's the thing with running backs; like you can get them pretty much anywhere in the draft. And and if they have a path to success, you know, for those of you drafting in fantasy, like Tyler Algier is probably not going to be at the top of any lists unless you're you're really digging deep. But that's a that's a guy that you could probably get for almost undrafted price uh, in fantasy drafts that has a legit chance to to take on a, a sizable backfield role but uh yeah eric what do you think about algier coming to atlanta um two things that stand out to me 1600 yards 23 touchdowns last season uh for in 13 games for byu he had four games where he ran for 190 yards or more and two of those games were above 200 yards um this kid now he didn't really win any all conference accolades like i pointed out with the previous guys that were drafted um but he did win offensive player the game in the bowl game in their bowl game against uab um and production is the one thing that stands out um throw on the tape you rarely see him go backwards on runs he's always going he's always falling forward he's i think i believe didn't he leave uh, FBS last year in missed I think rushing touched. Oh yeah, maybe it was missed tackles forced. Forced missed tackles or might have been like rushing that. touchdowns too. Yeah, it's rushing touchdowns, of course. Yeah. But I, but again, he's a type of. And, and again, he's not. I don't think he's going to run a t- win a ton of foot races, but he's going to be one of those runners where he gets better as the game goes on. It's going to be tough to tackle. Now I saw a lot of. Well, I I saw a, a ton of James Conner comparisons. I don't know if that strikes me because he doesn't look 225 on tape. He looks smaller. He really does. But he runs like he's 225, 230 pounds. Definitely runs behind his pass. So he is going to bring a level of physicality that the Falcons are wanting. And when you already kind of sort of have that in the backfield with Cordero Patterson and with Algier, is is you know if, if everything rounds itself into shape you know defenses are going to be pretty tired to try to tackle these guys for four quarters that's for sure and the stats were he was tied for first in rushing touchdowns and he forced 76 missed tackles which was sixth most in, in the fbs six most thank you yeah and um yeah i think that this is a pick where it held more than anything opened up cordero patterson a bit more because last year because Mike Davis really didn't get it done for the Falcons, Patterson was really forced into that backfield role where he was given that traditional running back load of, you know, those inside handoffs, those inside carries, because nobody else was getting yardage for the team in that role. And as a result, we saw Cordero Patterson break down toward the end of the season. This year you have Damian Williams, uh, who you picked up in free agency, one of the 1,000 Chicago Bears that we brought in. <laughs> um, you have Algier now, who's going who's gonna to be out there. He's going he's gonna to make an impact from day one. And he's a pretty good pass blocker as well, which is what you have to have as a rookie running back. You're not seeing the field if, if you can't block for your, for your quarterback. So as a result, Cordero Patterson will get some of those backfield carries, but now... Arthur Smith can sort of use him as that X factor on offense. He can line him up wherever he wants. And, you know, he can even use him as that third wide receiver or third target behind uh, Kyle Pitts, Drake London. And he can really open up the offense a little bit more. And 
you know, he can really get more creative with Patterson than, than what we saw last year. And that could result in an even better year for Patterson this year from an efficiency standpoint, even if it's not better from a pure yardage standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And the hope obviously is that the running run blocking improves too. Obviously we'll see how that goes, but uh, because if the run blocking is bad, then everyone's going to struggle, but the run blocking can be better. I think that that bodes well for, for Algier and for Patterson and the rest of the running back group. Um, All right, guys, I think it's that time for Desmond Ritter. The third, the first third round pick at pick 74, which I thought was a terrific value to get a guy like Desmond Ritter that late. Um, Trevor, I believe you, he was your QB one in this class. So yeah, talk to me about Desmond Ritter and why fans should be excited that he's in Atlanta now. Okay. Um, <laughs> I do have to preface it by saying QB one in this class does not well, mean what yes, it yeah. means has meant in, so, in different you know, classes. Trevor Lawrence basically, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Him <laughs> and Trevor Lawrence on the, on the same playing field. The reason why I thought the Desmond Ritter was QB one in this class is because in a class of a lot of uncertain projections with a lot of different players, uh, Ritter has already checked a lot of boxes. I think that he has the best pocket management, I think, of any quarterback that we were talking about as a potential franchise guy or starting quarterback. He understands how to manage the pocket. It's not this gimmicky offense where, you know, like, for example, Matt Corral, one read, he's gone. Like, that's it. There's no pocket management there. It's you're reading one player on the defense. You're either throwing the ball or you're tucking it and running it. It's not really – that doesn't really teach you how to – manage pressure and get the internal clock right and all that kinds of stuff. Desmond Ritter operated an offense that allowed him to do three, five, seven step dropbacks, more quick stuff than, than sevens, but he was able to do a lot of different kinds of dropbacks. He was able to go through different kinds of progressions. Uh, he was able to navigate things really well in that regard. I think that he could see defenses very, very well. He just operated in an offense that I think was, translatable to the NFL that it's not going to be this giant projection of, okay, what is he going to be? Because look, I think that everybody can talk about Malik Willis's physical gifts and there's no doubt about it. He had the highest ceiling of any quarterback in this class. Malik Willis has the arm strength and he has the leg mobility. He has all of that stuff to be an incredible quarterback, but he is so far away from look. He, he was so far away from even proving that in college, what he was able to do was, was simply flashes. That was it. Now he played behind a terrible offensive line at Liberty. So he wasn't going to get any better through that, but that doesn't mean that you're going to play him in the NFL. And all of a sudden it's just going to get better for him. It's still going to be time. It's still going to be uh, him working on that and, and getting that down. And, and some guys don't, there's no guarantee that that happens. And so that's a massive projection for Malik Willis, even for people who, think the best of his abilities and, and and think of the highest ceiling that he could be. Look, some people compare Malik Willis to um, Lamar Jackson when he was coming out. Guys, Lamar Jackson won a Heisman. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's dumb. That's, we can't, we can't be it's unfair that. to, it's right. unfair that's, to that's, both of them. Yeah. That's, that's, that's absolutely silly to be doing that. And I think Malik Willis lazy is lazy as well. Right. It is. It's, yeah. I mean, it's totally lazy and he's just like, it's, it, he's so much further away from achieving his ceiling than Lamar Jackson was. And, um, Kenny Pickett, I have worries that his arm strength is is, is ever going to be what it needs to be in the NFL, uh, even beyond just the small hands. I mean, that just yeah. normal athletic ability. Uh, Sam Howell's never tried a steak before, so you know that's <laughs> that's obviously yeah. something big red that's, flag. Uh, yep. that's that's something that's a big red flag. No, Take I like, him off the board immediately for I, that. I, one. I, I do I do like Sam Howell outside of his 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 meat takes, but um, mm-hmm. I think that he's going to be okay. Him getting to sit behind. 
Carson Wentz or maybe even start this year. Who knows? We never know with Carson Wentz. All that to say, getting back to Desmond Ritter. (laughs) I think he managed the pocket better than anybody. He's certainly shown that more than anybody over the college football season, at least these draft eligible quarterbacks. He knows how to go through progressions. He knows how to read defenses. He knows how to call things out in the pre-snap. His mechanics are already very, very clean. I think that what he does from his footwork to how wide his base is, how short his throwing motion is, exactly where he's leading the ball to his target. I think that he does things from a disciplined, detailed standpoint very, very well. I think he's got good and adequate arm strength. I think he's got some added mobility to him. He's certainly tall enough to see over the offensive line, which is important. (laughs) The only thing that really holds me back with Desmond Ritter is the touch portion of the accuracy part of his game is sometimes lacking and guys i have no idea why yeah i have no idea why there i i I read a lot of of nate tice's work because he he does incredible work and and being a former quarterback he's able to see things very very well and he said that what he noticed about ritter is that sometimes it's at the beginning of games and maybe it's the fact that ritter's just like too amped up at the beginning of games that he's missing these throws and there is reason to believe that could be the case because a lot of his misthrows do come at the beginning of the games, yeah. but not all of them. Sometimes there's there's like a, a, a floater pass to the end zone that he absolutely that should have absolutely have been picked off. And I'm like, dude, what are you? Touch is the hardest thing to improve on in the NFL. You can improve overall accuracy numbers. People like to say like, oh, he had a 63% accuracy. Okay, look, let's be honest here. You could bump that up to 67, 68 simply by getting on the field and just repetition, 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 muscle memory, rhythm, timing with your wide receivers. You can increase that kind of that kind of number in your stats. Touch passes are much more of a natural gift that you have or you don't. That stuff is really tough to teach. And when Ritter misses, he misses with touch. And that's the part that where he was my QB one, because of all those other reasons, that's something that is holding him back in my mind from truly being a potential franchise type quarterback. Because that's something that really worries me that might not get better with him. I'm going to love him in Arthur Smith's offense. I think he's going to know how to operate the play action game very, very well. He's going to know where to look. I think he's going to know how to read defenses. He's going to be a decent backup to Marcus Mariota, perhaps even push Marcus Mariota's job at the end of this year, going into next year. That's why he's my QB one. But I had to preface all that by saying QB one in this class doesn't mean what it used to. Yeah. It depends on the class. Depends on the class. Um, And it seems like the Falcons are sort of crafting a receiving core that can take advantage of some errant throws. You know, you got Kyle Pitts, uh, Drake London, Auden Tate, you know, just these huge dudes with massive catch radius. And, and that's uh, how accuracy can improve. The fact that you can, because <laughs> be, if, if you look at his tape, he he leaned a lot on certain, you know, certain game circumstances, third and long, or when they needed a play, he went to Alec Pierce, who's 6'3", he, who has that catch radius. And, you know, and a lot of times he was able to connect with Alec Pierce. So now you're able to add that Drake London. Now you're able to add that Kyle Pitts. Having those two guys alone, like it's like I mentioned earlier, with a guy like Auden Tate, like that can mask the accuracy issues a little bit. Um, and and I think I mentioned earlier about the accolades that a lot of these guys have. And yes, he's a two-time uh, AAC Offensive Player of the Year, but he's also an AAC Offensive Rookie Player of the Year as yeah. well. So yeah. this guy took uh, he took an accolade home in just about every year that he you know played at Cincinnati. Four-year starter, 
only 28 picks in four years, very productive, over 10,000 passing yards. So Ritter is is the type of quarterback that you can you can most teams, especially in this particular draft process, you can look at and say, hey, when it comes to production, when it comes to a guy that we know was able to get it done at the collegiate level, he's the answer there um, above a guy like Malik Willis. Um, when it comes to this particular offense of Arthur Smith, I think right now, of, of course, they're banking more so on who can really produce for us quicker, Ritter or Willis. Now, it's ironic that Willis went to Tennessee, Tennessee yeah. which is the same offense that they're running in Atlanta. It's, it's yeah. just, it's, it, it was the stars were aligned there a little bit, but. I, I think they're banking more so on like, hey, Ritter is more NFL ready than Willis. And Willis may need a year. He may need two years. Who knows? Honestly, depends on how things go. Um, I like the pick. I felt going into this draft that the Falcons were interested in two quarterbacks, Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter. And I felt like they were going to walk away with at least one of them. And they did. Um, and this doesn't kill them. The fact that they waited until round three to get a guy like Desmond Ritter yeah, who yeah. has a, a higher floor than Malik Willis, in my opinion, at worst Desmond Ritter can be a 10 year backup in the league, a quality backup. One of the better backups in the league that at worst for Malik Willis at worst, the guy can be out of the league in a handful of years, to be honest with you. That's just is boomer bust with him. When you said, when you said at worst, and then you said a 10 year, I was like, is he about to say oh. at worst Desmarais could be a ten year starter? <laughs> no, 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 like, like hype like, train is yeah. on. Yeah, <laughs> we should have taken him at eight. At worst, like, he can be a guy. He, he can he can you know spell you a little bit. He can he can be one of the more top tier, I guess, and I don't, I guess lack of a better term there, but he can be a quality backup in the NFL. So, I agree. I agree. um, and and I think you know in this particular scheme, I think he fits it very well, and I think he's going to open some things up and allow the Falcons to do what they kind of wanted to do last year, but they didn't have that luxury with Matt Ryan under center. Yeah, and I think the game changer here is the fact that they did take him in the third round because totally. we were talking about Ritter. You know, will he be there in the second round? Do the Falcons possibly have to trade up for him in the second, in back into the first round? Because you know, there's that quarterback tax in the draft that just didn't happen this year. I'm sure the Steelers thought that they were going to start that quarterback run at 20, and then I'm sure they were panicking a little bit when they saw that no, none of these other quarterbacks <laughs> were getting taken in the second round at all. Remember the rumors of Ritter going to eight? Yeah, I remember the rumors of Willis going at eight. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. And the the thing is now you got him in the third round. Even if he isn't your franchise quarterback, this doesn't kill you. Right. You don't have to put that pressure on him of all right, you have to come in and you have to be the guy from day one. You know, jobs are on the line now depending on your success because, you know, in the third round, if the Falcons wanted to next year they could take a quarterback again if they're in a position and they really like one of the quarterbacks in next year's class. We've seen it happen before. We've seen it with uh, Washington taking RG3 and Kirk Cousins in the same draft class. Ritter will easily be a movable piece if you do want to go that route the same way the Patriots moved Jimmy Garoppolo uh, when, when they saw that they had a large number of quarterbacks on their roster and Jacoby Brissett as well. So, 
you know, the Falcons aren't married to Ritter at all. Best case scenario, he does turn into that franchise guy that you got in the third round, the same way that Seattle got Wilson in the third round, the same way that uh, Dallas got Dak in the fifth round. And worst case scenario, you lost out on a third round pick that you'll easily be able to recoup because I'm sure with a little bit of development, you'll be able to, to trade Ritter for a third rounder at minimum, maybe even a second rounder in the coming years, if you do fall in love with another quarterback, or you know, if you're in position to take someone like a CJ Stroud or a Bryce Young next year, and you and you think that they're the franchise quarterback, so taking them in the third round as opposed to even the second round or trading up for them in the first round, that's the X factor of this pick, and that's what makes me really, really like this pick, no matter who the quarterback was that was taking the third round. I, yeah, I have to yeah. be honest here, though. I honestly feel the Falcons might have drafted their next franchise QB. Like, that's I, the hope I, is, I'm, I'm, that, I'm that confident. In yeah, Ritter. that's the best case scenario. It's, especially in this particular scheme. And I know fans are like, man, you know what? They're going to set themselves up for a CJ Stroud or, or Bryce Young next year. I, I don't think they're going to be in a position to do – well, they may be in position to do that, but I think they are going to feel confident enough next season that they're going to say, Ritter's our guy. And and I, I think he can really be – the next franchise QB for the Atlanta Falcons. I, now, I just, I just mm-hmm. hope that the team is in, isn't in position to contend for anything that they give Ritter an opportunity. Yeah, right. That's the give thing. Him an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Just and, so you can see what he has. And, and I don't, I don't ultimately, I don't think he's, well, I know ultimately, well, I'm going to say, I know, but I, he will, he won't be in that tier of the Josh Allen's and the Patrick. No, Mahomes, no. You know, after development, after he's able to be refined and he gets his feet wet in the NFL, he won't be in that tier. But I think he will be one of those those corner those quarterbacks in the league where you know he he's able to start for for many years and and honestly I I felt like there was a Dak Prescott type ceiling with him where it's it you know I don't think anyone at least me I don't really consider Dak Prescott in that elite tier but he's definitely a quality starter he's definitely able to win you games and he's definitely capable of taking you to the playoffs and 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 winning in the playoffs and I think Ritter ultimately can be that guy especially in this particular scheme what is going to be key for the Falcons is continuously adding the talent around him especially on the offensive line as well because you want to be able to utilize his skills in the passing as well as a runner as well so and yeah. here's the thing if if Ritter is your guy if he does hit as as a third round potential franchise quarterback next year if you're in position and let's say Bryce Young is on the board and you're you're set on Ritter being your franchise guy you can get a haul trading back and then you can continue adding those pieces because I'm not really worried about O-line maybe this year but next year the Falcons will have a hundred million dollars in free agency to to rebuild that offensive line with you've already given him the weapons you'll be able to see what what he's got a little bit this year you know hopefully you know hopefully left guard has figured out i'm i'm still <laughs> a firm believer that matt hennessy is the guy at center and i'm driving that hype train until the wheels <laughs> fall off but it this the, the lugs are a little loose i will say that <laughs> I, I i'm i'm a, I'm driving the the Matt Hennessy hype. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. You know, somebody has to do it. Somebody's got to stand Matt Hennessy. So, yeah, I mean, I stand him during that draft. So, to prove my draft takes right, he needs to turn into the Falcons starting center. So, I'm with you there. 
Um, PFF graded him higher than Alex Mack last year. Uh, that, hey. That's all I'm going to say. Any comment and, on that, Trevor? Nitt? <laughs> Look, yeah, as the person who grades every player, uh, in it's the you. I and think every yeah, play. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Look, I think uh, clearly the people who are grading him like him a lot. So yes, I'll stay. I'll stay definitely. on the grades. It's fine. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I was going to say nobody's allowed to say anything bad about PFF on this show. Yeah, yeah. you can say whatever you want. It's fine. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's it's running inherently... backs do matter. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, get out of here, nerds. You know, whatever whatever Ben Solak was saying on. Uh, that other, oh, know, yeah. Get the nerds out of, out of football or whatever. No, that, I love Ben. He's funny. But, uh, yeah, it's I think that he does have a chance to be a franchise quarterback. I don't think, like, like Eric said, I don't think that we're going to be talking about him in this rarefied air of, like, the top five or even – you know, top 10 guys on a reg on a year to year basis. But I think he's certainly capable of having Ryan Tannehill like seasons, like, like with the Titans, when, when they had everything around Tannehill, um, they, they were able to get him to have like a top eight season. Might want to use a better coach. Well, you know, but I'm saying like Tannehill was able to, to have like a top eight season a couple Arthur years Smith ago. Arthur Smith made Tannehill really yeah. damn good. Yeah. So. I mean, he, and, did. And I th- he did. And I think Desmond Ritter can certainly at least be that um, if, if things go to plan. And, you know, obviously you're probably hoping for a little bit more career longevity and hopefully it won't take quite as long as it took for Tannehill. Um, but what, what do you think about his actual chances of turning into a franchise quarterback? Not We're not saying, you know, top five elite, NFL starter, but a guy that you could see, you know, taking on that that role and, and filling it admirably for the Falcons for maybe a second contract. What do you think the actual chances of that are? I think I definitely think it's there for yeah. sure. I'm like I, I believe in his ability, and I think um, you know the rushing element that's being brought to this offense. I honestly I don't think it was executed enough at Cincinnati. And I think he can be, you know, one of those guys that's able to really make some plays with his legs. You know, he's he he ran the what was it, four, four, five, nine at the combine. Four five two, yeah. And he's he's a long strider. Um he's he's able to eat up yards with with very few steps. Um and, and I, I can't wait to see how that's incorporated when defenses are worrying about where Kyle Pitts is, where Drake London is, where Cordero Patterson is. Now you have to worry about, you know, a, a guy like Ritter kind of leaking out and getting on a run with, with uh, plenty of grass in front of him. So I, I, again, I think, I think this is, this is a pick honestly that can pay dividends for him down the line. And I think he really has the capability of being the next franchise quarterback for the Falcons. Uh, and you guys were mentioning Ryan Tannehill. At least we don't have Ryan Tannehill here to teach uh, or to not teach Desmond Ritter what, what he does or doesn't know, like uh, like my, like Malik Willis up in Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, Trevor, what do you think about Ritter's chances of actually hitting and, and being sort of what fans are hoping for in terms of a, a franchise-level quarterback? The opportunity's there for him. You know, I certainly look at Marcus Mariota and like, I think Marcus Mariota got dealt a bad hand when he was in Tennessee, given the lack of weapons around him and how he had different offensive line coaches every single year. So I think that like, yeah, he got the short end of the stick. So there's reason to believe that like Marcus will be okay as a, as a starting quarterback in Atlanta, but Ritter's going to have the chance to push for that starting job over the next two years. And like I said, it's not like he's going to step in and be this project quarterback. I think he's going to be able to impress right away when it comes to practice and preseason and all that stuff. So look, I, I think that like you guys have said, he's got all the tools. The, the one thing that worries me is 
the ac- the accuracy when it comes to the touch passes because yeah. those players that you want to continue to believe in that give you those handful of throws that you go that's my franchise quarterback they're often those almost kind of like backyard football kind of like crazy plays and a lot of times that involves some no thinking all touch kind of passes and like yeah. those are the things that i'm worried about him a little bit i think that he could definitely succeed really well in structure and i think at the very worst you're gonna have a good young bridge quarterback for when you end up finally being able to get that franchise guy whether it's in free agency or a big trade or maybe one year you're trading up to go get a quarterback or whatever it is i think devin murder it will at least give you that chance to potentially be a franchise guy yeah yeah in the third round i think it's it's a great swing and if he just becomes a good backup for you long term you know i think like uh he reminded us of another falcons third round pick quarterback in matt schaub who was a backup for most of his career but did have a stretch of four or five years in houston where he was making pro bowls i think he led the league in passing under shanahan one year like I could see that as a as a possible career path for Ritter as well, a guy who is a really, really long-tenured NFL player who plays like 10, 15 years in the league, isn't necessarily this elite-level starter for most of it, but could have a peak of four to five years of being you know, a, a fringe sort of Pro Bowl guy in the right situation. So that's the hope. That's the hope. And did you have something else you wanted to add on? Uh, yeah, no. And Matt Schaub is someone that the Falcons – had on the roster for a few years and easily dealt, you know, yeah. in fairness, when they thought that Mike Vick was the guy and <laughs> that that did not end up working out for them because, you know, Mike Vick had the legal troubles, but who, who could have seen that coming? Um, but yeah, I, I like, I like it way more. The fact that it's a third round pick just because there's a chance that Ritter is a franchise guy but he doesn't have to be. Yeah. And if he's not, then it's not like the front office is going to be losing their jobs over it. because there's some guys where, you know, you make that pick and if he doesn't pan out, then, you know, heads will roll. Like you marry yourself to that quarterback. Right. Uh, and the fact that this isn't that case that, that leaves open so many possibilities and, it's it's just a great move to get him in the third. And it was lucky that Ritter was there in the third round. I do not think he should have fallen that low. Uh, I don't think Willis should have fallen to the third round either. But I think every team except for Pittsburgh that ended up with the quarterback got really good value out of it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I liked it. I liked the class as a whole. I think it was good. Um, and I appreciate Trevor Sikama for coming on and breaking it down with us tonight in detail. Awesome analysis, Trevor. Appreciated your uh, analysis, your opinions as from an outside perspective. Uh, yeah, anything else, Trevor, you wanted to add before we wrap up tonight? No, appreciate you guys having me on. This was a lot of fun. It was good to, uh, again, talk about draft classes. It's cool to talk about the fits now that these guys are officially drafted, and it was great to hear y'all's thoughts as well where you what you guys think of these guys and uh how you think they're gonna play in their rookie years and beyond so this is great appreciate you guys having me absolutely guys he's still at tampa bay Trey, no longer a peter report he's at pff i'll make sure to have the, the you know the name play updated correctly next time but trevor really appreciate you um also with us tonight we had adnan ikic at say which way on the twitters adnan anything else you'd like to add before we sign off um 
Yeah, uh, stick with the Falcolic for schedule stuff coming up this That's week. Right. Yeah. Uh, schedule is being announced tomorrow, and we'll have a we'll have a bunch of articles breaking everything down regarding the schedule. Uh, the NFL is really making a big scene out of it. You know, doing it daily with with these prime time games this year. But you know, it's the NFL; they can they can get away with everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, with this also with this tonight we have. Eric Robinson, he's at underscore Eric underscore Robinson. Eric, anything else you'd like to add tonight? No, um, like like I didn't mention, man. You know, check out the Falcoholic. I sure won't stop shop for everything Falcons. Uh, and yeah, be be sure to be on the lookout uh, for schedule release tomorrow. There is a schedule release special on ESPN at eight. All right, get that plug in. Good job, yes. real company man, Eric Robinson. Yes. Yeah, he's tossing that out there uh, while we're here. <laughs> The um, bosses are watching. <laughs> good job. Good job. Yeah. Um, Snuck it in there at the end. Great job. <laughs> Glad to be here, man. Glad to talk Yeah, to you happy man. to have you back on. Always. Yeah, we did have one final tip coming from Ray Moon with the $5. He says, I'm still a fan of Felipe Franks. I think something's wrong with me. <laughs> yeah, something is. Sorry. I appreciate you giving appreciate you guys give, you giving these yeah. guys $5 to get that in the show. But as yeah. somebody who is a... As somebody who is a University of Florida grad. <laughs> yeah, you think the, the you friendship has sailed? <laughs> yeah. You didn't like his turn as a tight end on the Falcons last year? Uh, no, that will that would be a better position for him. <laughs> he played it in Atlanta last year. He did. Well, you know, yeah. he should get If you don't if you don't remember then you, you you're 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 you doing better than we are. Uh, so. so what you're telling me is that we, we need to add Felipe to the passing element for correct. Him. So yes. line him up alongside Pitts and London, and you okay. cannot teach size, baby. You can't teach it. Can't I guess. Teach it, okay. I guess. Beautiful. Yeah, I don't know how a guy who tests out that well as as an athlete has such a low yards per carry. I feel like his yards per carry was like two or something at Florida, which was very shocking to me, but then I watched him try to to run uh, Wildcat in Atlanta, and I was like, oh, yeah. He was a, he was a five-star recruit out of high school, if I remember yeah. correctly. Was, he certainly looks the part. Yeah, he was in that Jacob Eason class, and <laughs> right. yeah, it's just... Uh, yeah, whatever happened to him as well? I think he's Jake in Rom. Indy right to now, God. right? Yeah. No, I, like, <laughs> over, I think Eason's in India, Indianapolis yeah, right yeah. now, backing yeah. up uh, our old friend. Yep, Maddie Matt Ryan. So, shout out to Matt Ryan, by the way, guys. Yeah, also, guys, I'm Kevin Knight. I have alcoholic Kevin. Thank you all for tuning in tonight. Really appreciate it. Like and subscribe if you don't mind. Leave us a comment after the show with if you have ideas about future content you want to see this summer. Uh, you know, we're gonna need some of it. So if you have content ideas, you know, throw those in there for sure. Uh, but yeah, we really appreciate everyone. Like I said, like and subscribe. You can check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash live guys. And we will be back next week. We'll be breaking down the schedule release and anything interesting that happens at Rookie Minicamp. You know, fingers crossed that something interesting and positive happens, but it's Rookie Minicamp. So, you know, don't get you know too excited. There's probably not going to be anything. But if there is, we'll talk about it next Wednesday at 8 p.m. 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, again, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. We will talk to you next time on the Falcoholic Live. Thanks once again to Trevor. Thanks to Adon and Eric also for coming on tonight. We will see you guys next week. Have a good night, folks.